for that gentleman. Uh, thank you for coming to chapel. Turn in your Bibles with me to Galatians chapter 1. Galatians chapter 1. As I was meditating on just uh, the message time here this morning, there was a burden I believe the Lord put on my heart uh, for really all of you, but something particularly I'm burdened about for the young men. Uh, now, we talked on Sunday night, didn't we, young men? A little bit of an uncomfortable talk, but it was a good time. I trust it was a help and a blessing and an encouragement to you. Um, this is something a little bit different, and, uh, and it, this will apply to every person here, young ladies as well. Um, but I want you to know my burden is for you fellas here today. Um, so ladies, hang on for the ride here. You'll glean something out of this. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I don't know about you. <clears throat> I cannot stand being directionless. Um, <clears throat> I, 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 don't, I haven't really talked to a ton of people about this uh, other than pastor, but uh, going back and forth from being on the road to being at home can sometimes have its challenges because when I'm on the road, there's a super clear purpose right in front of me. I was with Will all summer, and uh, our purpose was we needed to see young people come. Uh, we needed to uh, see them hear the gospel, have a good time, and trust Christ as their Savior. The, the purpose was right there in front of us every single week. The church has brought us in in order to do that kind of a thing, and it was just crystal clear. And, uh, and yet, sometimes when I come home, while there are definite clear purposes of why I'm here, it's not always quite as in your face. You know what I'm talking about? And uh, for those of you that have maybe traveled on a team with me, you know what I'm talking about. When you're out there with me, right, there is uh, a whole lot that's up in your Kool-Aid demanding your attention uh, that you've got to give your life for. But when you come home, there are a lot of things vying for your attention and a lot of things vying for your purpose. And what I find is that if I do not have a clear sense of purpose for my days and for my hours, I'm going to live for the wrong set of things. And I want you to know as a, an evangelist who's been traveling now for eight years, um, this is something I have to constantly keep in the forefront of my mind or I will end up wasting days and hours of my life. And, uh, and, and that being said, one of my burdens here today, and as I want to see you young men, um, get a vision for how God not only wants you to spend your whole life, but how's your, how your days and your minutes and your hours fit into that. Uh, because I feel, I, I fear that many times, even though I think all of us would say that we want to be totally surrendered to Jesus, right? And we want to be totally dependent on his power to reach the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Yes, I do say that a lot. Um, I think sometimes we can miss the specific call of God, the direct communication of God's will for my life today and into the future. We can miss the sense of divine calling from God because we've got a lot of, a lot of individual specific things that we've got to do. Mr. D. Van was talking about how, you know, why is it that we sag in the middle of a nine-week block? And I think it's because we lose our sense of divine calling. There could be a number of different reasons for that. Um, but I want to submit to you here this morning that if you do not have a clear 
heavenly vision for your life, for your time here at BCM, for your weeks, your days, and your hours. You can bounce around from one person's set of expectations to another. But really, when it gets down to the discretionary time in your life, when it gets down to the minutes and seconds of your life, you will not accomplish your heavenly calling. You will not accomplish your purpose. And what you'll end up doing is really bouncing around from other people's expectations, and you'll miss out on God's. Now, I'm going to try to walk a knife edge here this morning uh, in a message that I have entitled, Man Pleaser or World Changer. Look with me, the beginning of Galatians chapter 1 uh, here, uh, and I'm going to try to cover a lot of material. I know I'm not going to be able to cover all of it, so I may have to uh, shift into hitting the highlights of some of these passages, but I want to do justice to the text here. In Galatians chapter 1, verse 1 here, uh, we read the introduction to the letter. It says, Paul, an apostle, not of men, neither by man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. Right at the very beginning, we find one of the major themes of the letter being brought to the forefront. Paul, in the top left of his envelope, if I could put it that way, as he's saying who this letter is from. He's already defending something about who he is and what he's been called to do. He says, as he often does, Paul, an apostle, right? Nothing uh, too out of the ordinary uh, there. Let me ask you a question. What is an apostle? Again, I know there's a lot of discussions about this. You're chuckling because that's the case. But at the core root of the word, apostle is someone who is sent, right? Apostle is a sent one. And the question that that begs is sent by whom? Who has commissioned this sent one to do what they are doing? And that very question is a question at the heart of chapter 1 and chapter 2 of the letter to Galatians. If all you think of in this letter is Paul fighting against the Judaizers and the heresy of either word salvation or word sanctification, you're going to miss a major theme that's contained in chapter 1 and chapter 2 of this letter. Because right at the beginning, on the top left of his envelope, he says, Hey, listen. Hi, my name is Paul. I'm a sent one, sent by God, not by people. And the Apostle Paul had a divine mission from God. He was not so much sent by people. In fact, he's going to spend the whole first chapter defending the fact that he is not doing what he's doing. He's not saying what he's saying. He's not spending his days and minutes and hours because a human being or a set of human beings said, Hey, Paul, here's what I think you should do. He's saying what he's saying, doing what he's doing, spending his days and minutes and hours because God in heaven had a mission for him to accomplish and before we even get into the main topic here we get a sense that Paul had a divine sense of mission on his life he had a sense of calling from God and not from man um, as we continue reading here he says uh, who it's to and all the brethren which are with me unto the churches of Galatia grace be to you and peace from God the Father and from our Lord Jesus Christ 
who gave himself for our sins that he might deliver us from this present evil world according to the will of God and our Father. And there are other themes and sub-themes that are contained here in his introduction, which I'm not going to get into. Uh, jump down to verse 6. He says, I marvel. This story is really getting into the main uh, burden that he has for this letter. And this is not so much my main burden here, except to give the background of his burden. He says, I marvel that ye are so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel, which is not another. This is a different gospel, but there be some that trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ. But though we are an angel from heaven, preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed, as we said before. So say I now again, if any man preach any other gospel unto you than that ye have received, let him be accursed. Now, the, the issue is not the issue here as far as my preaching here today. I'm not going to stand up here and I'm not going to spend time defending the gospel to the sinner or the gospel to the saint, except to say that at times and in some settings, this is a controversial issue. Now, in most places that we would associate with, I don't think there's a ton of argument or discussion uh, about the gospel to the sinner, although there is some discussion there when it comes to certain words and the meanings of those words as people articulate the gospel. But there is definitely, I would say, in our movement, discussion and controversy about the gospel to the saint. But even there, my purpose here today is not to defend the gospel to the saint, but get, to get down to why would we defend the gospel to the saint? Why would we at times have controversy over th theology. Why would we stand? Obviously, we know that it's the truth of God's word. Obviously, we know that the word of God has things to say about how a person can be made holy, not only positionally, but practically. But why would you stand up and defend the truth of sanctification by faith? Would you do it because it's what you were taught in the classroom? Would you do it because it's what your school says? Would you do it because it's what your favorite preacher preaches? Or would you do it because you got it from the book yourself? Now, that being said, again, I'm trying to build a case here today. And uh, in verse 10, we get into really the controversy that is behind the controversy. Um, he says in verse 10, he, he basically implies that there is an accusation leveled against him. And he says in verse 10, For do I now persuade men or God, or do I seek to please men? For if I yet please men, I should not be the servant of Christ. Now, what's he saying here? Why is he saying this? What he's essentially saying here is, all right, you to whom I'm speaking, I said there are some that would trouble you, and there are some in your church that don't like me. <laughs> the devil do not agree with the theology that I'm going to be presenting you here in this book. A and implied in what he has to say in his defensive posture and the words that he gives here is a charge that has been leveled against him. And the charge that had been leveled against him was that he, the Apostle Paul, was just parroting the theology of others. The charge that was leveled against him was that he was saying what he was saying, doing what he was doing, preaching what he was preaching, looking over his shoulder to see whether the big wigs in Jerusalem agreed with him to impress them, to get on their good side. In other words, he was accused of being a politician, <laughs> of saying what he was saying, 
doing what he was doing, spending his days and minutes and hours with his eyes upon men to please people. And, and, and don't mistake this, young people, what he says at the end of verse 10, for if I yet pleased men, I should not be the servant of Christ. I've got a question I want you to consider. Why do you do what you do? Now, before I even begin here, again, I said I was going to be uh, trying to stay on a knife's edge here. Okay, I'm not saying that you need to get this rogue, um, uh, just kind of going out there and saying, well, I don't care what Pastor Schultz or Pastor Swanson thinks, and I don't care what Pastor Van Gelderen or Pastor Zempel thinks. I'm just going to go out and do what I think is right and throw off all restraints of all authorities. No, there are other verses in the Bible that make it very clear the powers that be are ordained of God. But the real question that I want you to grapple with here in this message and the real question I want you to consider is what if they were not in the picture? What if there was no Pastor Van Gelderen or Pastor Zimple or Pastor Swanson or Pastor Schultz? Would you still be preaching what you preach? Would you still be doing what you do? Because you know what? There's going to come a day when you're no longer going to be a student of this institution, you're going to be a graduate of this institution. There's going to come a day when you're not going to sit in chapel every day. There's going to come a day when you don't walk into the dean's office to talk through things. There's going to come a day when you are, are far enough away geographically, you can't sit down and have a meeting with Pastor Van Gelderen. There's going to come a day when you're out there on your own doing what you believe God has called you to do. And if you do not have it settled in your soul, what God has called you to do and what God um, has for you to believe, I am telling you, you'll just find some other human being to follow and some other human being to listen to and some other human being that you absolutely must bounce ideas off. You're going to be paralyzed because you can't learn how to function without a human being to tell you what to do. We are not training you here in this institution to be yes men. Now, we recognize the challenges of your culture and your generation. You default towards not listening to authority. You default towards not being under authority. And one of our goals here is to get you to understand there is power in being under authority. That is the expectation of God for you. And yet, again, trying to be careful in maintaining this balance. At the core, we do not place ourselves under authority because they are the ultimate solution. We do it because... Because God is the ultimate solution and God has placed those authorities in our lives. Now, again, I'm trying to be really careful in balancing this because I do not want any of you to come out of this chapel with the wrong idea. At the core and the root of the matter, Paul was not ministering because Peter thought it'd be a good idea. Paul was not preaching what he preached because James and the rest in Jerusalem put their stamp of approval Paul was preaching what he was preaching because he had gotten it directly from God himself. Now that being said, as we continue reading verse 11 here, he says, But I certify you, brethren, that the gospel which was preached of me is not after 
man. Now that's an interesting phrase here. It's not after man. In other words, the message, my banner, uh, the thing that I lift up my voice and proclaim in every city that I go into in my missionary journeys, the message that I preach to you when I was there in Galatia, the message that I'm preaching all over the northeastern Mediterranean rim, this is not a message that I, that I necessarily received from people. This is a message that I received directly from God. Verse 12, for neither I received it of man, neither was I taught it, but by the revelation of Jesus Christ. And what he's saying here is, listen, I want you to know I say what I say, if you hear me say this once, you're going to hear me say it a bunch before I'm done. I say what I say, and I do what I do, and I preach what I preach, because I got it from God. I wasn't taught it. Now you say, but preacher, we're in Bible college to learn. We're here at BCM to learn. What are you talking about? Okay, listen, I, I helped teach Netcaster's class a couple weeks ago. And I do expect you to learn. I expect you to be informed. And in fact, the Apostle Paul was not somebody who was above learning. Ananias, at one point in his life, came alongside of him. And he was a very huge impact on Saul before he was known as Paul. And, and uh, there were other people who had influence in his life. Barnabas was a mentor to the Apostle Paul. You better believe Barnabas taught Paul a few things here and there along the way. And what I'm talking about is not being above being mentored. It is not above being instructed but ultimately at the heart of it it's having the heart of the Bereans where they did not just listen to what was said to them and just take it as the word of man they dug into the revelation and they got it for themselves there's a big difference between being in Bible doctrines class and just taking what I say for granted and after Bible Doctrine's class, opening up the Bible and taking a look at what the Word of God actually says. There's a big difference between reading a devotional booklet, you know what I'm saying? Where it's kind of pre-digested like a mother bird, <laughs> right, for you. There's a big difference between that and you digesting it in your own gizzard. <laughs> it's a big difference. And uh, there's a big difference, for instance, between just looking at what the commentaries have to say, though I do that, and I do that on a regular basis, and you grappling through the passage and parsing the verbs and meditating on what's going on in this passage for yourself. You see, Paul here, he, um, he had been giving his life for something, and of course you know God showed up on the road to Damascus in his life, and there on the road to Damascus, when you compare the various accounts that he gives of, uh, of God showing up to him there, you find not only did God reveal that Jesus was alive and the domino effect of what that meant for him and his eternal salvation, not only did he trust Jesus Christ as his Savior, but there on the road to Damascus, he had an experience with God, and he received a heavenly vision. He received a commission direct from the hand of God, a calling, a customized life purpose. God gave him not just marching orders in general that would be the same for every other person, but marching orders that were unique to the man named Paul. On that road, he got, as he was alone with Jesus, 
there on that road, and again, there were other people around him, right? But it was just kind of he and him. You ever been in a situation where in a sermon it's like everybody else melts away and it's just you and God? Or ever have a time in your devotions where there may be other people around the dorm, but as you're reading your Bible, it's like everybody else melts away and it's just God talking to you. You've been in a corporate prayer meeting and though other people are praying, it's like all of a sudden it's you and God and God is speaking to you. Paul had that happen to him and it was a sacred moment on that road to Damascus and he referenced it later. He says, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision. You see, he got his message and his mission from God. And one of my burdens for you here today is that you not bounce around from what people advise you to do, though you shouldn't ignore that. And you need Listen, in a multitude of counselors, there is safety at this phase in your life. You need to hear and listen to what these men of God are saying. God placed them into your life, and yet at the same time, you also need to have your own Damascus Road moments where you get on your face, where you say, God, I can't graduate until I know what you want me to do for my life. God, I don't just want to drift through college hoping that one day it will all become clear and that, that one day I'll have an idea of what I'm going to do. Listen, I've seen far too many students float through their four or five years at BCM or seven or eight for some. I've seen far too many people float through those years and even float right through seminary expecting that at one point some lightning bolt will strike them and all of a sudden they'll know what God has called them to do. Honestly, can I just be super transparent with you? I am sick of seeing that. I'm sick of guys graduating from undergraduate with absolutely no idea what they're supposed to do. I'm sick of seminarians just in seminary because they don't know what else to do. Listen, I think we need to have more guys go to seminary. Little plug in for that, all right? I think we need to have more of our guys get continued education and sharpen their swords so that it's the best. Uh, it's the best possible for the use of, of the Lord. But I am not for young men and young women who have no idea what they're supposed to do. Because here's the thing. If the only leadership you ever get for your future is when you're sitting in the dean's office, you're not going to make it. You're not going to make it. If the only divine leadership you ever get is in a meeting with pastor in his office, you're not going to make it. You've got to get it from God. And again, that is not opposed to receiving counsel. Please understand the knife edge I'm trying to keep you on here. But if all you do is receive instruction and direction from people, you're going to miss out on what God has for you. Now, I recognize talking in theory here may not necessarily help you. So let me give just some, some personal testimony from my life. Um, I was not the kind of person that wanted to be told what to do. <laughs> just kind of in general. Okay, so I erred on that side. Some of you do as well. I was not the passive type of a person that just waited for people to tell me what to do. In fact, in high school, um, as, uh, as God was working in my heart for the ministry, I surrendered to God's call, and um, I had a particular institution, I thought, that 
at that point. It was just kind of the default. It's just kind of what everybody did. And uh, so I just kind of assumed that is where I was going to go to college. And some of you probably were in a similar situation, everybody around you. I'm looking at one, okay, where they just kind of, this kind of what was expected. And uh, I remember at one point the rep from that particular college uh, came to my Christian school and uh, he said a few things that honestly were not impressive. And I'm not saying they didn't have enough majors. They had plenty of majors, all right? In fact, that's how he tried to sell us all on it. Uh, but when a young man raised his hand and said, um, and, and some of you heard some of this before, when a young man raised, uh, oh, the, the rep asked, what do you want in a college? And uh, some people said, I want a big sports program. Well, we've just built this gigantic amphitheater right here for the sports program. And somebody else says, I want every major I could possibly imagine. Well, we have 3,272 majors for your convenience. And somebody else, a little kid, he's a nerd. He was a nerd. No way around it. You know, glasses that constantly went down like the, you know, <laughs> one of those guys. And uh, he says, and he, he came from a very conservative family. And so... He obviously had a different set of values than most other people in the room. He raised his hand and he said, strict dress standards. And the, uh, the rep laughed. Not like you were laughing, but derisively laughed, along with almost everybody else in the room. And he said, well, we do have dress standards, as if to say, but they're not really strict. And uh, he spent... 45 out of the 50 minutes of that chapel time talking about what do you want in a college. And at the very end, he did some little ditty that honestly was a poor attempt at a challenge. And I walked out of that time thinking, you know what, if I'm really, this guy doesn't seem serious about serving God. I am. So I need to find somewhere else. Now, honestly, that was not a popular opinion, even at my home church. Because that school was the place that everybody who was godly went. Because everybody else would be, was either compromising or arrogant. And um, so uh, I began to seek the Lord. There were some default things I just kind of defaulted towards. Um, one of my best friends was going to somewhere else. And I won't even say what state it's in. Uh, he was going somewhere else. And so I kind of thought, well, maybe that's the place. And I started pursuing that. Uh, just to be honest with you, there was a girl that I liked. She was going to another place, and I thought, well, maybe God could be in that, you know? And uh, God was not in that. <clears throat> um, and God is not in following a girl to a college either, by the way. And if you're here following a girl, um, just get right with God and finish out all four years. <laughs> all right? Anyway, um, I have no idea if that applies, but if the shoe fits, <laughs> lace them up, all right? All um, right. But there came a point in time when I came up here to visit uh, a couple of colleges, and I was here. And um, it wasn't just that I was impressed by what I saw, because Chapel was in Fellowship Hall B. <laughs> there was no Heritage Center. All right, a lot, most of the students lived off campus. I mean, there wasn't a whole lot that was terribly impressive from an infrastructure standpoint at that point. But you know what got me? God did. And one of the things I was really encouraged by in the testimonies at the beginning of the semester is how many of you freshmen, you wrestled, you grappled, and you knew God wanted you here. It wasn't just because you liked what you saw and you were terribly impressed by, um, you know, the food line or anything like that. <laughs> you got your marching orders from heaven, and you may have wrestled with it for a little bit, but in the end, you did what he wanted you to do. 
Some of you, God smacked you over the head with it. You weren't really seeking it, but he showed you. You know what I mean? <laughs> you didn't really want him to show you, but he showed you. And that's not always how God's leadership works. Sometimes you do have to seek him. Sometimes you really do have to get desperate. Sometimes you do have to spend time on your knees. Well, that being said, I, I came here and um, all I knew was that God wanted me here and God had called me to preach. I didn't know a whole lot other than that. And there were some preachers that I was really impacted by. There was a fella who was and still is uh, a very major gospeler in Southeast Asia. And I remember I was incredibly impacted by his ministry. And because I was impacted by it, I thought that's what God wanted me to do. And can I say, you can be impacted by men of God, but just because you're impacted by them doesn't mean that's God's marching orders for you. So I did what I find a lot of people did because I liked this guy, okay? And I was really uh, impressed by what he was doing. I automatically assumed that meant that that's what God wanted me to do. And so I began to tell all the other students, this is what I'm going to do. This is what God's called me to do. Even traveled on ensembles and told pastors, you know, I'm going to be a missionary evangelist to Southeast Asia. And then I remember there came a point in time when a, a, a multitude of various things started happening. And God really started calling that into question in my heart. And I remember I had to get humble, and I had to admit what I have thought, what I have been planning on, and what I've been telling everyone else about is not God's plan for me. It's my plan for me. And uh, I remember we had done a little war with our Sunday school group over in Vogel Park in Milwaukee, not too far from Brantosa there. And um, we had done that. I wasn't even a team captain. Um, we had Mike Fisher come. He ran it. We had some Sunday school teachers who were team captains. And it was a great time. One of my disciples, Michael Aponte, he gave his testimony up there. He did that because he just didn't know how to talk without doing this. I love new converts. Um, and um, I loved it. I absolutely loved it. I'm telling you, I was so fulfilled. And uh, afterwards, Oriel O'Gorman, who was the leader of the Sunday school department, he caught me in the lobby a couple nights later, and he said, hey, Bob. He said, uh, have you ever considered doing what Dr. Jim does? <laughs> and I, I remember it was like, it was like, well, I mean, the thoughts entered my mind before, but that was sacred territory. There's no way. And uh, I began to seek the face of God. Now, there was one thing, though, that was a little bit tricky because my wife was traveling with Dr. Jim. Well, she wasn't my wife then. She was Abby Wickham at that time. And uh, Dan and Elise probably remember her traveling with them. And uh, she was traveling at that time. And remember, all that I ever heard was that she absolutely loved traveling. And she absolutely loved working with young people. So there was this conflict of things in my mind. You know what I'm saying? Because on the one side, it's like, Lord, are you calling me to do this? But on the other side, am I changing course because of a girl? And my motives were so suspect. I'm telling you. And I remember uh, we were, I was at the 107th Street dorm out on the little deck that they had there. It was one of the only places I could get to to get away from people. And I pulled a little chair out there, and I remember I was on my knees on that, um, on that balcony. And I remember I had determined I was not going to get up until I had heard from heaven. I was grappling with this. Lord, but I could see myself doing this. 
and I feel like you're drawing my heart out to this, and yet, man, I don't want to do this just because of a girl or just because people maybe have seen that I could do this. God, I've got to know from you. I've got to know from you. And I wasn't content to set out on a life's mission just because maybe my Sunday school director thought I could do it. I had to know that God wanted me to do it. Well, in that prayer time, it seemed like, and uh, if you don't know how to discern the voice of God in your heart, you need to learn. But during that sacred time with God, he said yes. He said yes. And listen, some of you have no idea what I'm talking about. Because the only way you can find out what to do is to go ask Pastor Swanson. Now, please, don't stop going to Pastor Swanson. You know what I'm saying? Some of you, the only way you can figure out whether you're supposed to travel or not is to ask your parents. Don't ignore your parents. Talk to your parents. The only way some of you can figure out what kind of a major you're supposed to do is to talk to people. And again, catch the knife edge. I'm not saying stop talking to people. I'm not saying ignore what people say. But I'm saying get alone with God. Learn how to discern his voice. Learn how to hear what he wants. You know, traveling on the road has not been easy. It has some real challenges. Jumping the black tank is one of them. It's a regular challenge. Um, You know, when things go wrong with a trailer, when things, uh, you know, when people don't like what you have to say, when sometimes you have to say things that are uncomfortable uh, and, and do things that could be misunderstood, it's, it's a challenge. But you know what? If you know that you're doing what you're doing because God told you to do it, you're not going to get you're not going to get discouraged by the challenges. I mean, it's, it can be discouraging, but ultimately, they're not going to knock you out of the picture. Listen, you're not going to get uh, ultimately dissuaded from continuing moving forward because people don't like what you're doing or what you're saying. If you have in your soul your message and your mission from heaven, it doesn't matter what stands in your way. You have God, and God has you, and that's all that matters. Now, Um, That being said, I I said I wanted to do justice to the text here. He says in verse uh, 13, basically, you heard about who I was. Um, I I was very zealous in what I did. Verse 15, but when it pleased God who separated me from my mother's womb and called me by his grace to reveal his son in me. In other words, when God showed up in my life on the Damascus Road, uh, he gave me a sense of purpose that I might preach him among the heathen. Notice what he didn't do. Immediately I conferred not with flesh and blood. I did not immediately set up a meeting with the apostles in Jerusalem. That's not what I did. He said, neither went I up to Jerusalem to them which were apostles before me, but I went into Arabia. You know what he did in Arabia? He probably sweated. He probably picked sand out of his teeth a lot. But the most important thing he did there is he met with God. 
I went into Arabia and returned again later unto Damascus. Then after three years, it said it wasn't until three years later that I went up to Jerusalem to see Peter and abode with him 15 days. But other of the apostles saw I none save James, the Lord's brothers, uh, the Lord's brother. Now the things which I write unto you, behold, before God I lie not. He says, oh, that's right, I remember this too. Afterwards, I came to the region of Syria and Cilicia and was unknown by face unto the churches of Judea that were in Christ, but they had heard only that he which persecuted us in times past now preacheth the faith which once he destroyed and they glorified God in me. Now, again, um, there is a sense in which Paul was a unique case and there's a sense in which he wasn't, okay? Um, Paul was called by God to be an apostle equal to every apostle that had come before him. And as such, he did not need the approval of the other apostles. Now, that being said, uh, he's a unique case in that sense, but he's not a unique case in this sense. Listen, you have people over you. You have people that you are responsible to. But you've got to get it from God. You've got to get it from God. Are you confident enough in God's calling and leadership in your life that not a single other person in your life could see it and you could still press forward? Do you have that kind of a word from heaven? Um, in chapter 2 and verse 1, he says, 14 years after I went up, again to Jerusalem with Barnabas and took Titus with me. And I'm going to have to summarize this. Basically, he says, I was here, and yeah, there was controversy going on, and um, I had one of my converts with me, and uh, this young man uh, wasn't necessarily in line with what everybody would have accused me for, uh, for fighting against, and yet uh, the apostles, they, they, didn't, they didn't make him get circumcised, all right? Um, and frankly... I wouldn't have cared if they did. Look at, look at verse, uh, verse 6. But of these who seem to be somewhat. Remember, he's being accused of doing what he's doing, saying what he's saying to please the bigwigs back in Jerusalem. Okay? The particular issue that he's going to be fighting against in this letter is whether circumcision is required, whether the law is required to either be saved or to be pleasing to God as a saved person. And people are saying, oh, Paul, uh, you're, you're just kind of following in the heels of uh, those preachers in Jerusalem. You're just parroting their theology. You really can't be counted as a primary source. You're a secondary or tertiary source. You really don't even count. And he's saying, listen, I didn't get my message from those people. I barely had interaction with them over the first number of years of my ministry. The one time I did go down there with them, um, I didn't really care who they were. In my mind, these guys weren't God. He says, uh, uh, these people who seemed to be somewhat, they seemed like they were impressive. He said, whatsoever they were, it maketh no matter to me. God accepteth no man's person. So they who seemed to be somewhat in conference added nothing to me. They didn't even try to tweak my message. But contrary wise, verse 7, when they saw that the gospel of the uncircumcision was committed to me as the gospel of the circumcision was unto Peter, verse 9, but, and when James, Cephas, and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that was given Unto me they gave to me and Barnabas the right hands of fellowship that we should go unto the heathen and they unto the circumcision. Only they would that we should remember the poor, the same which I also was forward to do. And what he says here is he said, listen, when I did end up getting with them and we did end up talking theology, 
We did end up talking about what God had called me to do. They didn't change a thing. Except they told me to make sure I remembered the poor, but I was already thinking that way anyway. Okay, what, what did we learn from this? We learned that Paul was so secure in his calling that even when he went to men, even when he was standing before people who had, who seemed to be bigwigs, even as he was standing before, I don't want to call Pastor Swanson a bigwig, but you know, even as he was sitting in Pastor Swanson's office, he knew where God was leading him. He had a sense of divine calling. And though he received instruction from them, God had already led him to it. And you know what? <clears throat> I do not for a second get the impression that if, and again, I want to be careful in saying this, do you get the impression from this passage that if the apostles in Jerusalem had said to him, hey, listen, um, we really think you need to put more of an emphasis on the law in your preaching of the gospel. Do you get the impression for a second that he would have complied? Uh-uh. You know, you need, to be, you need to get secure in what God has called you to do. You need to get it straight from the revelation, all right? Straight from this book right here. You need to know what God has called you to do and not drop half of the New Testament on the floor as you're doing it. Keep it in the book, right? But you've got to keep it in your heart. <laughs> you've got to make sure that as you are going, you are going to meet plenty of people who agree with you, but you're going to meet some people that don't. And you need to be so secure in what God has called you to do, not above correction where the word of God disagrees with you, not above um, having someone who's older and wiser than you uh, sharing some ways in which wisdom would help your ministry be more effective. I'm not saying you need to be rogues or renegades. That is not what I'm saying. And yet, on the other side of the knife edge, you need to have gotten your mission and your message from God to the point that one day when you're out there, there may be hoary heads that sit down with you and say, you know, hey, listen, brother, uh, really think that you're expecting too much out of God. You need to understand how things really work in this world. You need to be so secure in your message and your mission that you can rejoice when men agree with you and keep on going even if they don't. Um, in verse 11 and following, and I do not have time to develop this, but there was a situation where Paul and Peter were at the same place, and Peter was doing some things that honestly were muddying the waters of truth, muddying the waters of the gospel. And I preached a whole sermon on this section. Uh, that's not my purpose here now, but to show how this fits into the bigger uh, discourse of what's happening. Um, but Peter was in a situation where there was a man who was highly respected, one of the very men that he was being accused of, uh, of trying to please. Peter wasn't doing right. And yet Paul, because he had gotten his message and his mission from God, he had a backbone for the truth. He was able to stand up and speak up, even to a man uh, who was the rock, right? You see, there may be some of you decades into the future, maybe even less than that, where there may be some people who are not preaching the truth anymore, people maybe you even went to college with, they're going to be people maybe who are in your row or in this room who 
are not standing true, who are not walking faithfully. And listen, if all you're concerned about is pleasing people, you will not have a backbone to stand up when you're tempted to shut up. You know, I, I want you to know, we are not interested in producing yes men here at this college. We are interested in producing young people who understand authority. But we're also interested in producing young men and women who know how to, how to hear the voice of God, who know how to get an answer from God on what God wants them to do, who know how to continue moving forward even when people do not understand and disagree, who are humble enough to receive instruction and yet on the other side confident enough in what God has said. Again, I recognize there's lots of different personalities here in this room and there are different ways that people are going to potentially even take what I have said here and take it to a wrong extreme. And if you are a person who tends towards extremes, why don't you try to tend towards balance in this pattern? But please get the core of what I'm saying here today. Get alone with God. Get your marching orders from him. Don't be content just to receive an outline in a class. Get into the book yourself. Figure out what it says. Figure out what it means. Make it your own and hear from heaven what he wants you to do. And I'm telling you, that's the kind of young man and young woman we need to change the world. Not man-pleasers. Not man-pleasers, but world-changers. Lord Jesus, I want to thank you for these young people. I want to thank you. This is